Uh, thank you for your time today, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. How are, you, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine today. How are you? I'm good. So we had some technical difficulties uh, getting started, and I think that that's beautiful because it actually kind of leads us into what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> um, <clears throat> for those listeners who don't know, I do have to hype you up and, and just congratulate you on your, your work and your effort. Uh, I was I was being nosy. And I observed that you earned your bachelor's of psychology and women's studies at the University of Michigan, a beautiful campus in Ann Arbor. Mm. And then in 1998, you, you have your master's, you earned your master's counseling in psychology at Northwestern. And then you earned your PhD in counseling of psychology at Northwestern. And you currently are an educator, a professor. At Northwestern. Mm -hmm. They can't get rid of me. They cannot get rid of you. And, you know, before we get into this, did you ever have a student in your class named Aaron Newman? He was a baseball player at Northwestern. Uh, Played center field. How many years ago would I have had him? When did he graduate? You would have had him and he left. So we we went to high school together. He left in 2004 on Mm -hmm. a scholarship to Northwestern to play baseball. Gosh, I don't know. His name's not ringing a bell. I don't know. Okay. I teach a lot I mean, of athletes. It's really fun. We get usually about 20% of my class is, is student athletes. Yeah, I just randomly randomly thought of him when I saw Northwestern, and I, I remember he was there. Uh, but we had connection issues, you know, and I was just joking, and I said, hey, you know, it's got to be my fault. It's got to be my fault. And you said, uh you know, I don't want to, I don't want to place blame, you know, jokingly, mm-hmm. uh, but you were speaking from your lens, which is so beautiful. And one of the notes I have is you have this post where you say, here's what I know for sure. The word fault has no place in our relational vocabulary. It's a dead end street. Could you speak to that and, and, and tell us what does that mean? How, how do we deal with fault and, and blame and te- teach us a little bit about that. Yeah. It's just, um, okay. So I think there is, I think one of the signs of a healthy relationship, really of any kind, certainly an intimate relationship, but it could be a parent child relationship or a friendship is when I can take responsibility in a way that, um, where I can still be regarded warmly in your eyes, right? So I can look you in the eyes and say, Sly, I screwed up. I didn't do this right. I don't love how I handled this. And I can look in your face as I say it, and I can still hold the sense that you still love me and you still hold me warmly. And that's a sign of a healthy relationship where we can be accountable and responsible and um and still loved and we know you know we know that we're kind of going down a dead end road when our conversation gets locked into fault because fault is like who's going to get stuck holding the bag on this and um and it just shows what it what it indicates to me it's like a blinking indicator light that something doesn't feel safe right if we're if it feels our relationship the space between you and I must not feel particularly safe if my main goal is getting responsibility off me and getting it stuck on you that just shows both of us that we 
need to really look at the ecology, right? Of like what we are nurturing and building and growing in the space between us. You know, and you, you talk about in your book, uh, Loving Bravely, which is a five-star book on Amazon. You've got over a hundred and I believe 50 reviews on there. Uh, you know, one of your topics is like that self-awareness. So how do we begin to, you know, how do we begin to tap into self-awareness, you know, and, and as it relates to entering a relationship or even the relationships that we are already in? How do we, how do we tap into self-awareness? How do we use that? Mm-hmm. I think our first, I think the first step is knowing that it's really a paradigm shift. It's not like a one and done. It's not like listen to, you know, an episode of Sly's podcast or read this one book or do this one worksheet, right? It really is a commitment to an ongoing, curious and compassionate relationship that I choose to have with myself in which I reckon with the fact that every person I'm in relation to is a, is a teacher to me. There's something I can learn about myself, about my wounds, about my belief system, by how I react to um, to you, you know, to whoever I'm in relation to in that moment. So that's really what relational self-awareness is about, is like viewing relationship as a classroom, a space for healing, growing, recognizing. And what comes up today in in this moment, in this year, um, oftentimes points me to the past. So a lot of it is is being willing to look at how the past kind of forms like the pair of glasses we wear in our relationship. So I talk a lot about the families that we grow up in um, as, as our really our original love classroom, our original relationship classroom, where we learned by observation, right? How we watch the grownups talk to each other, relate to each other, handle their feelings, handle gender roles, handle difference and how we were related to like who did my family need me to be who did my parents need me to be um and so that's and and that all those dynamics get awakened really powerfully in our intimate relationships so i think our intimate relationships end up being a space where we play out all kinds of old dramas and it's not sort of like whether or not our past is going to get shaken up when we fall in love. It's just sort of the only question is really, are we going to be brave enough and humble enough to deal with it? So what's the first step? I mean, you know, you have people who they have, they have these family structures that maybe are not healthy. They're not conducive to producing healthy adults. And so you have, you have us where we have to heal. We have to, we have to try to understand. We have to try to work through different pains, different traumas. You know, what is the first step? You know, love and belonging is such a deep need for us uh, as humans. And, you know, it's unfair to tell someone, you know, no, you don't, don't, don't get in a relationship to, un, until you're mm-hmm. healed. Or, what's the first step? Where, where do we begin? If, if we're willing to take the commitment of, Hey, I want to heal. I went through some things with my family structure. I know that, you know, love is different than what was presented to me. Where do we begin? Yeah. I really want to hear your answer to this question too. Will you? Will you yeah. Me out? Okay. Um, I don't, I think the where we begin, there's, I think the arrow goes in both directions. I do think that, that um, 
there's a way in which the more I am willing to read, work with a therapist, listen to podcasts, journal, all of that self-work will help me when I step into the dating pool. It will help me kind of discern whether I want to proceed with a connection or whether I want to say thank you next. So I do think the arrow goes in that direction. But I also do know that there's some stuff we can't figure out, like we can't have it illuminated until we're in the ring. So the arrow goes in the other direction as well, right? That it, it is by dating. It is by allowing ourselves to open to somebody, to become interdependent with somebody. Mm-hmm. That there's, there's some stuff we can't unlock until we are engaged, you know, engaging with somebody, making love with somebody, fighting with somebody, figuring stuff out with somebody, committing to somebody, all of that stuff takes us more deeply into our healing. So there's a piece of relational self-awareness work that that we really do in the context of relationships. I don't think we need, I don't think we have to be a hundred percent done, you know, toasted, fully baked in order to be healthy in a relationship. I think it's a both and you have to do your own work and know that the relationship is going to continue to grow. I've been married for 22 years and I still, my husband, you know, the way I feel in relation to my husband still points me deeper and deeper into my own self. I'm still continuing to grow in what it means to love him and care for him and allow him to love me and receive his love. Like that's, that's still ongoing work in progress. Thank you. Um, I will answer the question too. Yeah. To me. Um, Man, I really think I really think the, the 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 most important thing is the motivational factor. And just speaking subjectively, my motivational factor is I I want to be loved. I want to share love. I want to, you know, feel love. Yes, romantically, but also in friendships and in, in community and in connection. And I can acknowledge what I went through, what I've experienced, what I've seen, and 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 I can grade it as what it is. Is you know something was great, something was awful, something was you know up down. It was comical. I I can grade every experience. You know we we have that ability to grade what we what we went through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know based on how it made us feel, based on how it made us grow, based on how it made us scared. Uh, but ultimately, uh, you know when I ask myself that question, like. I went through traumatic things. How do I transcend this? How do I get through this? Uh, it was exactly what you said. It was deciding to go to therapy. It was deciding to to not keep things on me and to hold it. Because as you know, when when you're dealing with things that uh, like shame, it, you know, when you have that shame and you don't feel safe expressing how you feel, you don't. You keep it to yourself. You bottle it up. You retreat and you withdraw. And that that repression, that retreating, that withdrawing, it keeps you away from love. And what I what I found through my experience is love is really uh, expansion. It's really more about pushing outward, even though that you may have pain present or you may have turmoil present or maybe you have jubilation and happiness present, regardless of what we label the emotion love is still pushing outward because if I have the greatest happiness, love is me sharing that with you. Like, I'm so happy today. I am, or I am so proud of you, you know, or this great thing happened to me. I would love to just share that energy with you or even something bad happened. And then I'm also able to share that with you because we have trust because we have 
connection. And I feel like you can only get that by pushing outwards. Um, that's not to discredit being introspective, because I believe in that, obviously, and yeah. I preach. And that's not to discredit, you know, trying to deal with things, quote unquote, on, on your own, uh, as they say. But I've just learned that as human beings, we heal and we live and we thrive best in community. On, on so um, for me, it's that motivational factor of I want community. I want love. I want to share love. I want to give love. I want to receive love. And and that for me is the biggest factor. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's mo- right. That, that is what motivates us to do our work, right. To continue to heal ourselves so that we can stay open, even when we're scared. And as you're saying, share the sad stuff rather than retreating um, be accountable rather than blaming all of, yeah, that's, they're so entwined, right? They're so entwined. I know that, I know that the days I am most critical of my husband, Todd, like if I'm kind of just like picking at him, you know, like I've got issues with everything he's doing or not doing. Those are the days that I've treated myself like crap. You know, I will like, if I feel like that, I can feel myself reactive to him, annoyed with him, I will, my goal is to notice it, to step away and to check in with myself, right? Like what's, what's my day been like? What are the stories inside my head about how I'm not being as a therapist or as a, you know, Instagram, you know, whatever (laughs) influencer, you know, like where am I, am I beat myself up about myself professionally, myself as a mom? Because if, if my self-talk is gnarly and critical it's guaranteed I'm going to, I'm going to project that onto Todd and be critical of him, you know? So those, my relationship with me creates a foundation of how I'm going to receive him, turn to him, you know, lean into him um, versus push him away and get critical. In sports, there's often the phrase, you know, how you start is how you finish. Obviously, that's like not really true. Like in life, we can point to many examples where it's not true. But the whole premise is, you know, if you're winning the first quarter, it'll be easier. (laughs) The odds say you will win the second Mm -hmm. quarter. Like that's kind of where it's coming from. So when it comes to, you know, your relationship with Todd, you guys have been married for 22 years. Going back to the beginning, uh, what do you feel like worked at the beginning? That was like a like a foundational piece to something that has uh, carried you guys through the, the the different stages of your relationship. Hmm, that's a great question. Um, friendship. It's really easy. We were we were um, friends first, and then we were you know best friends. We were very 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 dear friends, and we layered romantic connection in um, after a while. He kind of caught feelings for me before I caught feelings for him. But that was, I mean, he, I thought he was the funniest person I had ever met. And, um, and I felt like I could open up to him really easily. And he was, we were, um, we were babies. We were, it's so wild. We were, when we, when we, when we met and started dating, we were younger than our oldest son is now, um, or same age, I guess, as our son is now. We were freshmen in college and, um, we went through some breakups along the way, but we were, a, you know, a solid unit by the end of college. And I just thought he was so funny and I felt so, it was so easy to talk to him. And for a long time, you know, I, so I've taught this class at Northwestern for 20 years, this, um, uh, building loving and lasting relationships, marriage 101, the class is called, and it's, 
really popular class and such a total privilege to teach. And I have, I have used um, examples from our marriage, you know, throughout the entire class. And I know that early on, I used to feel really self-conscious when I would share the story of how Todd and I started, that we started off as friends and then we became romantic partners because I thought that I was saying something negative or shameful or embarrassing about our like romantic attraction it because it wasn't like you know we caught each other's eye across a crowded bar or something like that you know it started off as this deep bond and then interestingly in the last maybe 10 years as hookup culture has really taken off on college campuses our story um that story now to students sounds really lovely like they there's a desire i think because so often romantic relationships begin with sex um and then the romance or the then the um friendship is kind of like retrofitted in after the couple has been sexually engaged like sort of these situationships or um you know like really kind of ambiguous boundaries around relationship the idea of having a solid deep friendship first ends up feeling really like a breath of fresh air to students and many of them describe that's that's what they would like to have is like to really get to know somebody first before um becoming sexual and that's a very very long way of saying that that's that's where we started and that's and that's been um really a through line for us why do you think why do you think you said that the hookup culture has, you know, really grown and, and, and kind of become the way, the culture of college students? Why do you think that is? And is it is it more prevalent now because maybe people are more expressive, you know, having social media and having outlets to express it? Do was it do, you, do we think it was the same way in the 60s or, you know, in the 70s? Like, what do, what do you think about, you know, the the hookup culture, as we call it? Right. I, um, I think it's complicated. I think there's like a number of variables with, with a, you know, in a college campus, sometimes we can't, like, it's a really funky microcosm, right? Like it's, it's really kind of a whole culture unto itself. And what my students have, have been telling me for many, many years is that hookup culture fits well. It, it's a, it's an attempted solution to a problem. And the problem is that they have been you know, fed a steady diet of um, high expectations on their academic performance and on their career aspirations, right? So their their parents, their families, their teachers have all been like, you're smart, you're heading to college, you've got to have this big, bold career. And so they've got ambitions to go travel abroad, go to grad school, you know, do Teach for America. Like they've got lots and lots of things they want to do. And romance feels like a diversion or something that would slow them down. Um because there are ways, right, that to to make space for a we means that you can't be singularly focused on your goals. So I think that um, hooking up and kind of keeping people emotionally at arm's length and avoiding commitment is a way to try to solve that problem of like, I've got a lot to do and I can't be slowed down or deterred um, by love. And I think now in the last like whatever, 10 years, I do think something else is creeping in, which is this is the generation now that's grown up with smartphones in their hands. And so the other thing my mm. students will describe to me now is they're really freaking scared of being vulnerable. You know, many of them have stories of just lots of like shaming that happened over social media. I mean, I, I know I had shameful things, right? Like you slip a note to the cute boy and somebody else sees it and you're like mortified. But that was like, there's only so far a thing like that could spread, right? Now, 
um, things that happen in middle school or high school can just get spread exponentially. So there's there can be a lot of shame around fear of exposure, fear of vulnerability, even fear of going on a first date, because if your images and your dating profiles are all sort of highly curated and there's filters on the images, it can feel really intimidating. My students have described to me to just sit face to face with somebody where things are happening spontaneously and synchronously, and there's no filter on my face and I don't look the way I look, you know, on my Instagram feed. So I think that's a new piece that can make just the the messiness of love and relationship feel really frightening. And so then drunken sex just seems like it's somehow easier, safer, you know, which it's not, but it, it can feel that way. It's also, there's also this element of when you are curating your, uh, and I don't know all the names, but I know, I know there's Tinder and uh, maybe Match, I think is one and uh, Hinge, Hinge. Yeah. Uh, even humble. your Instagram, humble, humble, bumble, humble, <laughs> humble bumble, whatever it's called. That'd be <laughs> when, a good one, humble. <laughs> <a> humble bumble, uh-huh. <laughs> where you will find your love. <laughs> like when you're curating these feeds, I often think that, and I can speak to this from, you know, because my feeds are more of my art, they're more of my work. They're not really me in my life. So I can speak to it from that, from that lens too. It's like, there is this underlying thing that's happening in your brain, like on the subconscious, I want to say, because I'm not sure if we're even if we're even largely aware of it. But sometimes you're asking yourself, like, man, is this is this post going to hit? Like, is this going to do well? Is this going to perform? Or, you know, if it's post, if you're posting a selfie or something like. Is this going to get comments like are people going to like me? Are they going to talk about how cute my outfit is or how great my shoes are or, you know, whatever that looks like for each person. And it's social media, the, the, the feeds, the, the, it's all built for us to connect, which is beautiful because it's supposed to build community. But then there's this, this, this part of it where we don't have the healthy boundaries with what it is. You know, in my opinion, it should be, I want to share this, because it's genuine to my experience. I'm because I'm in, because I'm inspired by it. Because I love it. Because it's it's a part of it's a part of me. Like, you know, if you love cooking and you're sharing your food, like ah, I baked the apple pie, like this is great. It should be because, in my opinion, the motivation should be I'm sharing this because I like it. I care. It drives me. It's it's genuine to my story. And then you get into the other side of it, like you said, like, you know, as a creator. Where it's like, well, hey, if I say this, I know it's going to trigger more likes or it's going to want to trigger more comments. And so then there's like that performance factor um, that I'm sure creatives feel and I'm sure people feel on dative sites. There's like this this performance factor. Well, look, if 50 people have looked at my profile, I don't have any matches yet. Okay, maybe I need a little more cleavage. Or if you're a guy, maybe I need an ab ab shot, you know? So, Mm -hmm. but then when we go down that route, we get we just get so far away from actually presenting our authentic self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and my question is, and this is not really a question for you. I really think it's a question for the, the listener that may connect to this story. Do you want someone to fall in love with your curated, pretend, best, the pinnacle version of you? Or do we want to create room for vulnerability? Mm-hmm. Room for self, room for growth, 
you know, room for who we genuinely are 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe talk to us about how we could get to that space? Because I'm sure someone's listening and they're saying, you know what? I was that girl or I was that guy that was just presenting my best self and it didn't get me the results I want. How do I present my my vulnerable, real self without without seeming, quote unquote, needy or, you know, how would we go about that? That's right. I think there is a tension between I want to present my vul- my authentic self and you need to really earn the right to my authentic self, right? Like I've got to have a boundary. I'm not going to put on my humble bumble, you know, all of my core issues and wounds and proclivities and sensitivities. So there is, I think that tension is incredibly real. And, um, and I think one of the ways that we end up managing that tension is by, and how, and how anxiety provoking it is, is that we get focused on the swiping, right? If I just focus on swiping and sort of like put myself in the driver's seat and really kind of control who I'm swiping left on and who I'm swiping right on, I think that sometimes is a defense against the tremendous and wholly understandable vulnerability of like, oh my God, what are people thinking of me? And is anybody swiping right on me? And um, as you're saying, like, do I need to show more cleavage? And if I do, am I abandoning myself? And why am I doing that? So I think sometimes the the way we try to quiet that noise is by just getting focused on the other person, on the swiping. Um, and so I oftentimes when I'm talking about like sort of how you bring self-awareness to dating, it is just sitting with those questions and really listening to um, your body as you swipe. Like, so, so to kind of swipe with a sense of being grounded um, and present and noticing the rise and fall of anxiety or self-criticism and then pausing and putting it down and breathing and putting your hand on your heart and coming back to a centering within yourself so that it really like, so that we bring a sense of like mindfulness to that process because what, what we're, you know, these apps are sort of designed to be kind of easy, breezy, fast and loose, like very, very user-friendly. Um, but what we're playing with is some seriously like ancient magic, right. Around attraction and energy. So we need to, I think we need to find ways of honoring that. Like I often will encourage people to not just like swipe in the line at the grocery store or, you know, kind of mindlessly while you're doing something else, like to really make it a bit of a ritual and a practice and to kind of begin middle and then end and then close it back up again. So that it's not this, um, just so that, so that it becomes something that you feel like you are choosing and, and choosing mindfully and then able to step away from, which is, which is, hard. And I don't think, um, you know, I watched, um, the social dilemma a couple of weeks ago and learned a bit more about how our technology began as a tool. And now our technology is sort of being designed to suck us in, to kind of keep us hooked. So there's a way in which I'm saying all this with full awareness that, (laughs) you know, the technology kind of bigger than us and faster than us and stronger than us at this point. And, um, but as much as we can, do to maintain our own sense of ourselves, I think is really important. And the technology, uh, powerful. However, uh, one of the things I believe in is personal responsibility mm-hmm. and free will. I believe in free will. I believe that even though we do have subconscious reactions and thoughts and mindsets that are automatic, 
I believe that through self-awareness, you can begin to understand what some of those automatic processes are and you can reprogram and you can change Mm -hmm. who you are and how you are. Perfect example is alcoholics who've been alcoholics for 20 years and then they go sober and they change their lives around. It can be done. People do it all the time. So I feel like if we if we find ourselves in a spot where, hey, this this feels like a trap, right? If it feels like that, if it feels like a trap, you're in a trap, you have the ability to get out. The second that you identify you're in a trap is the second that you actually have identified that you have the ability to get out. Mm-hmm. And for whatever that looks like for your life, like for me, I personally don't like using social media, but... I love using social media for my business because it connects me to people. This podcast is connecting me to people. My, if I wasn't for social media, my books wouldn't be read by people. I just, I, I don't know if they would read my books. Right. So I'm not going to shame what, you know, social media is, you know, and I, I know you're not doing that either. I'm not shaming what the social media or what the dating apps are. There are people who find love on, on dating apps. Absolutely. Families have been made through dating apps. So, <laughs> you know, I won't, shame any of that. But what I will say is in order for us to free our energy, we have to empower that personal responsibility. We have to ask like, what choices am I making? Mm -hmm. What choices am I making? Am I being mindful of how I'm living or am I just swiping because the technology controls me, (laughs) you know? And this podcast audience, I believe is a more sophisticated, like intelligent podcast audience. I might be giving myself too much credit here, but I think they are just based on the feedback I've gotten from them. Like I've gotten some emails that are like seven pages long from Beautiful. the podcast audience. Mm-hmm. It, it's incredible. So I think they, I think they'll, this will be landing for them. Um, you have a post that when I look at this post, it was a posted a week ago. It, it left me in a space of, I need more. And the post reads like this. You don't have to get it right the first time. There is so much beauty in the re. Reimagine, rediscover, recover, rethink, revisit, redo, remember. When we come back again to a project, a place, an idea, a perspective, a person, we often do so with eyes that are fresher and wiser. That's one of the most beautiful posts, one of the most beautiful words I've ever seen. Hmm. It lands for where I'm at in my life right now. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a quick story. This morning, uh, after my run, I called nine guys. My nine guys who've been my best friends at some point in my life. People have kids, they have wives, they live in across the country. People don't see each other anymore. I called each one of them and I said, look, I need to somehow get all of my best friends together for something. Hmm. I don't know what that is. You know, it's not going to be going to the bar. It's not going to be watching a football game. That's not purposeful enough. I said, but I think if we got together over an event, like running a 5K Mm -hmm. or 13K, you know, something like that, running a a marathon, uh, doing some type of fitness event together. I feel like it will give us all purpose. We will be willing to leave our families for something of purpose like that, you know, and not a single person said no. Mm -hmm. I ended each call. I said, I love you, bro. To every one of my guys, I said, I love you. And one of the guys, I haven't seen him since we left college. You know, it's been over 10 years, but I do love him. And I told him, I said, 
if you need anything, you call me. The love that I have for you, brother, will never go away. Just because I don't physically see you does not mean that my emotional connection to you will ever die. And that post for me, it just aligns with where I'm at in my life. And it just makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing by reconnecting, reimagining, rediscovering, recovering, rethinking, revisit, redo, remember. Can you just talk to us about that post? You know, you even said in there, please stop viewing your life in a linear fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's so beautiful. I mean, I'm just picturing you on the phone with these nine different men and just what that, you know, what those phone calls then like where those phone calls now live within them, right? And do and they will love a bit deeper today, be a bit more open. It, it's really it's it's really it's beautiful to imagine these conversations and like where you guys are going to go. I'm excited to hear what you end up creating if you end up creating something right because maybe what ends up getting created is something it's not a 5k at all it's something different and you know it's just sort of but you started something and and you don't know yet where it's going to go it's really beautiful it's making me think also i posted last night about friendship and i you know ended the post with like tag your bestie and you know there's just so many comments of people tagging their tagging their friends but it's it's i think it's all women you know and so it's making me think also about male friendships and how just in you sharing that story in this podcast, I suspect that you are inviting your male listeners to reflect on their male friendships and who might they need to tell, you know, say, I love you too, and let them know, you know, that's, I think that's, that's the research research shows that men tend to, because of how we socialize our men, men can struggle a bit more to be vulnerable, to reach out, to revisit, (laughs) you know, each other. I mean, 100%, even when, you know, I go out to brunches and, you know, you'll see a group of 20 women that are just friends, but you hardly see a group of 20 guys that are, you know, just friends that are connecting and talking. And like, you see women at the brunch and they're laughing and they're, they're, they're just engaging. You don't often see big groups of guys like that getting together. And so I'm actually going to challenge the guys listening to the Free Your Energy podcast today. I'm going to challenge you. You know, I don't know what that looks like for you in your life, you know, with your circles, but I'm going to challenge you to reimagine, rediscover, rethink, revisit, uh, make sure it's genuine to your heart. Let me know. I would love to know what you guys come up with. Shoot me an email, info at SylvesterMcNutt.net. Shoot me an e- email. Let me know. Um, how can we connect with you on social media, your website? How, how do we get connected with you? Yeah, the easiest way um, is my website, dralexandrosolomon.com. That's um, you can get on my newsletter. It only the newsletter only goes out once a month, um, but it keeps you know keeps people posted on what's coming up. I'm working on um, just to have some projects in the pipeline that I'm really excited about. And then um, similar to you, I'm, I'm on Instagram quite a bit. I really have found um, found a lane there on Instagram that I'm pretty comfortable with and really enjoy engaging with people there as well. And then the books, I have two, two books that are available wherever books are sold. And the titles of your book, one is called Loving Bravely. What's the other title? The other one is called Taking Sexy Back. And it just came out a few, well, pre-pandemic, right before the pandemic um, swallowed us all up. And it is, um, it's so Loving Bravely is about relational self-awareness and Taking Sexy Back is about sexual self-awareness and helping 
you know, because sex and gender are so tied together, I, um, I chose to write for those who've been socialized in the feminine. So for women, women readers, regardless of if they are women who love women or women who love men or does not matter, but really it's about the journey of what it means to be socialized as a woman around sex and around body um, and around pleasure. And so it's a really integrative, holistic journey towards sexual healing. Um, and it was a really special book um, to write. And I'm, I'm excited that it's out there in the world. Okay, doctor, thank you for your time. We're going to we're going to grab those books. We're going to grab those books. We're going to tap into those books uh Amazon on Amazon and we're going to get to following you on social media. We really appreciate you for joining us here on the Free Your Energy podcast and we would love to have you back uh anytime you have anything coming up, any events, any big things to share, you you just want to give us some knowledge. We would love to have you back. Thank you so much for your time today. It was so good to be with you as well. Thank you so much. 